Hello and welcome. It's a fan checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett here with you for the next hour, which is not going to be enough to talk about everything that we need to talk about today. So a little peek behind the curtain of some of the conversations that Donovan and I have here. Yesterday when we were leaving, I said to Donovan, do you want to do uh, AFC previews for the weekend? We can really spread it out and we can really kind of sink our teeth into the AFC games on Thursday and then the NFC games on Friday because that is the order in which they will be played. And I said, do we have, is there enough there? And Donovan's exact response was, ah, something will happen. We'll have other things to talk about too, so we'll make it work. Well, Donovan, we did not account for this. Uh, by the way, before we get to all this head coaching news, uh, we should let you know. Uh, Tiki Barber, longtime New York Giant. He is uh, holds plenty of records with the New York Giants, former running back, uh, Super Bowl champion, and co-host of Evan and Tiki on WFAN in New York. He's also an analyst for CBS Sports, uh, NFL analyst. He will join us in uh, about 14 minutes' time here. Um, shocking stuff. Over the course of yesterday after this show went off the air and into, I guess it was early this morning. Was it early this morning? I don't know. I woke up to your text and I was just like, pardon me? Um, and for those that don't know, I mean, if you don't, well, you should get up under that, out from under that rock. Bill Belichick, out in New England. Pete Carroll, out in Seattle. And Nick Saban, out in Alabama. And I know we don't talk a lot of college football, but Nick Saban, um, well, he surpasses uh, the news cycle because it's Nick Saban. You know, it's been a real... You know, it's been a real news cycle when Charles Barkley on national TV says that he would slap Aaron Rodgers in the face. Slap or punch? I think he said punch in the face. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers said about him what he said about Jimmy Kimmel. And that was like the sixth (laughs) most interesting NFL piece of news on Twitter. It it was as if every time I went on the former Bird app, each NFL insider was just playing the DJ Khaled sound like another one, another one, because there was news of this coach and what it means for this scenario. And this team was interested in this coach if they became available. And, oh, wait, another coach is up. And then this morning we awaken to Bill Belichick, which I, I feel like we all knew was going to happen as far back as the Patriots playing overseas and shots of the owners in the box, the Kraft family, Robert and Jonathan, and them looking less than impressed. But then as it didn't happen and there's talk of, oh, Bill's willing to relinquish personnel control and find solutions. Like, well, is this going to be a scenario where you know you need to break up with someone, but then when you actually have to do it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. So you just don't. You just delay it. And and finally, we got the news. I think that's a good breakup for both. I think it was much needed. Uh, it also allows Bill Belichick to go somewhere else and maybe shed this notion that, well, it was just Tom Brady that was the reason why he won, which we all know is Tampa true. Bay. We all know. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Tampa um, Bill just Tampa goes Bill. back to the Bucks. <laughs> Not Tampa Bay, Tampa Bill. Um, I can tell you, you probably won't be going to Buffalo to be a bill. Um, 
five Super Bowls. Wait, is he not? He's not going. If if Bill Belichick texts a you up text to the Pagulas, it's a three way chat, husband and wife. Are they not? Are they not respond? They're leaving that on red. Just say, Bill, thank you very much for your interest in the position. But, but, let, but let's see what happens. Well, you can't you can't fire Sean McDermott if can't, he wins a Super Bowl. Can't you? No, you can't. You can't. First of all, the fan base would go ballistic. You can't do that. They were holding parades after Tyrod Taylor got them back to the playoffs. Tyrod Taylor, not happening. Sure, they were also ready to kick him out the door earlier in the year. For when good he, reason. When he was making terrible analogies to uh, <laughs> terrorism and yeah, when, his, when his team wasn't necessarily performing well and when he just couldn't stop the urge from blitzing on important downs. So, like, th- we're not talking about Tom Landry here. Yes, I know. I know. Okay, so Bill Belichick leaves the New England Patriots um, six Super Bowls. A, he, he falls just short of Don Shula's record. I mean, just short. Like, he's he's a bit short. For now. For now. Um, and yet, and we're going to, I want to ask Tiki Barber about this too. I wonder, because the commanders apparently are not interested. They've are apparently one of the reporters has already said like the commanders are not interested in Bill Belichick. But we kind of knew that because they put together this search firm of other people. You don't have to do that if you're hiring Bill Belichick. Like you don't need someone but but to when point they did that, to the greatest coach of all time. I know, but when they did that, they didn't know he was available. But we kind of all thought he was going to be available. I don't know. Weird things happen. Weird things happen. Like P. Carroll. Well, that's not weird. Nick Saban saying bye. Like, there are some weird things that have happened this week. Even the Mike Rabel thing was a little bit weird. See, I don't think Saban is weird in the sense that this new NCAA world's not for everybody. I know. And he's like, I'm too old for this bleep. Look how many coaches, like, we only really have legendary coaches of that ilk in basketball in the NCAA level. Roy William, Mike Krzyzewski, both. John Calipari. Well, Well, he's still there. He's still there. But both were like, I'm not, I'm not. Doing this, Jay Wright, who's not nearly as old, is like, yeah, no, this new game's not for me. So I think Saban's the football equivalent. You know, you know where I want Bill to go. You want him to go to the Chargers? No. At, you want him to go, Atlanta makes sense. Close. He started there. Alabama. Oh, could you imagine? Imagine, imagine? Lance is Lance is laughing. Uh roll giggling time. behind the glass here at uh, Bill. Could you imagine Bill Belichick dealing with a bunch of? Kids? Yes, I could. Okay, I think I, you need to sit down over here. You're not playing. Um, this is uh, we are we are on to we're on to Georgia. Roll Tide uh, <laughs> doesn't have to worry about a salary cap. No, that he doesn't. But I don't think Bill wants to deal with that nonsense either. All the not it's not nonsense because the athletes deserve that. But it's an entirely different layer to what. We're seeing here. You know the name that I thought of for the Alabama job? Because he's not super far removed from college football. And maybe he's like, man, maybe I'm going to go there. I thought, and I mean, it would probably never happen because he's an Ohio guy. Is Mike Vrabel. See, I thought of Mike Vrabel for Ohio State. Well, Ryan Day, you haven't beat Michigan three times in a row? Yeah, peace. But but how many times times have... 
that's a long conversation anyway about that rivalry. Here, I wonder about Mike Vrabel in New England now. Well, so there's a couple names. Gerard Mayo's one. Brian Flores I would put in that conversation as well. Yep. Uh, former Patriots defensive coordinator. And Robert Kraft might be the only NFL owner that he has a good relationship with well, since he's suing all of them. Yeah, well, this was going to be my question. Uh, I, I, I didn't plan on going there with this with Brian Flores. If Brian Flores is going to get a head coaching job somewhere, it has to be with a legacy owner. Has to be. The only one that could make that work. Like with, you know, if Mike Tomlin were to go, like the Rooney family could make that work. The Kraft family could make that work. It's not a long list, but those two are definitely on it. Uh, so it's interesting. I would say legacy in terms of well, the Rooney family certainly wouldn't Kraft have Kraft less issue. so of a legacy, but the, the, the Rooney family a lot of pull. didn't have issues, obviously. When he's saying the owners have an issue hiring Diverse candidates. He wasn't pointing at them. The rule is named after them, and they they currently have a diverse candidate. And he joined uh, Mike Tomlin's staff when you know he couldn't get a job coming out of Miami. Uh, I think the other way you go is a relatively new owner who wasn't around when he yeah. sued the owner. So f- that David would be Tepper. The- no, no. <laughs> I think that would be the group in Washington. Uh, Josh Harris. Yeah. Josh Harris. You know, again, who who you know, given his NBA ties, uh, has a different lens on unsaid things it's just wild that all of these guys and Pete Carroll is expected to take a an advisory consultant role well we know we know what that is that's Pete we're still paying you and you're not going to sit on the couch you're gonna we're gonna put you to work here old man (laughs) or is that we just need to put something in the press release as to not disrespect you well they didn't do the the I think the reason why that happened was Pete Carroll still wants to coach in Seattle, and that's the respect thing. Whereas in the Bill Belichick thing, it's we've mutually agreed to part ways. Because this was not mutual when it came to the Seahawks. See, Pete Carroll, he doesn't lack energy or ambition. Nope. I, I could see him going into a Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville type role where I am the head honcho of all things football. And I'm coaching the coaches, and I'm setting the culture of the organization. Uh, I could see Pete Carroll doing something like that if he wants it. But I think it's it's telling when we talk about all of these interesting coaches that are up for grabs. We're not necessarily saying, oh, man, who's picking up the phone a call to see if Pete Carroll can come fix my situation? You're saying that about Belichick. If, if Harbaugh comes back into the NFL, you're saying that about him. Uh, I, I don't know if you're saying that about Pete Carroll his success seemed so unique to the culture that was built originally by the Allen family in Seattle specifically. Uh, That ends a 14-year run for Pete Carroll as the head coach, finishing with a record of 137, 89, and one. Two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl win. Should have been two. We all know that. Um, And it should have been back-to-back. The thing with Pete Carroll, and especially as it pertains to the Seahawks, is it kind of feels like they had just hit their ceiling. Like they had, they'd won one playoff game in the last seven years. And in those seven years, they didn't make the playoffs three times. It was just like, they couldn't get over that hump and they had Russell Wilson. I don't want to say at the peak of his powers, but Russell Wilson in those six years, five years, whatever, five years that they were there, he was still a very good NFL quarterback. It really wasn't until Russell Wilson's last year after that, that finger injury that he was done. Right. Right. 
he was playing fine up until that injury. And then that injury for me changed everything. Well, and I, I just wonder if the formula that they had for success has expired because I think they have been competitive because Pete Carroll is so good at the intangibles and building culture and getting guys to compete for him. So they were never going to be appreciably bad. They were never going to be what the Patriots have become. But their ceiling, to your point, you know, their ceiling seems to be at the floor in terms of their, we never thought they were going to challenge for a championship in a very difficult division because their formula was quarterbacks not making a lot of money, strong running game, couple receivers, big play off the, the elite defense, play run, but really elite defense. Yeah. And the Legion of Boom. And when you look at that, you can still have elite defense in this league, clearly. But when you look at that elite defense coming from the safeties, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, you can't play that way anymore. And they were one of the highest scoring defenses we've ever seen, too. That's all, another thing. All of those big hits across the middle of the field, those have been essentially legislated out of the game. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, you know, they, they bring in Adams. That doesn't really work. He doesn't really play in the same way. I, I wonder if they just didn't have another pitch in terms of how they were going to build a team and play in Seattle. You know, the peak, I've, I've always been of two minds of, Pete Carroll. Part of me didn't like Pete Carroll for whatever reason, but like as I got older, I started to appreciate Pete Carroll a little bit more. The only thing is, is I've just felt like for the longest time that the organization would have a different, like Pete Carroll just kind of did the same thing all the time. Like there were, it didn't feel like he deviated from the plan at all over, you know, the course of the last 10 years. It's the Seahawks teams have been just the same. And that's something that I don't think, it works. Like if you're not evolving as a head coach, and I think this is the same issue with Bill Belichick right now. You're not evolving. Then you're falling behind because the game is evolving and evolving rapidly. It feels like, or at least, you know, for three years, it's offense has taken over. Then the defense adjusts and then it goes in cycles. Whereas those coaches kind of stayed the same, have a really good run game, have a really good defense. You know, your quarterback's not making a lot of money. You'll have success. Like that That type of thing is great in theory, but if you're not adjusting to the times, then you're falling behind. Well, and I think some of the motivational tricks and stories that he would tell and tactics that he would use, eventually, eventually you get with a partner like, yeah, I heard all your stories. Yeah. Like you, you come with something else. Have a new life experience to tell me about. And so you can only bring Snoop Dogg in to talk to the team so many times. <laughs> you, you can only have... You know, uh, keep it real Tuesday and compete Wednesday. Like that, those things only work for so long until they start to fall on deaf ears. Here's my question about both of these candidates. We haven't even talked about Nick Saban. Um, we will eventually. But is there a is there a question about people looking at these guys for jobs? Actually, you know what? Let, let's, let's bring our guest on because we can well, ask him this question yeah, as well. ask him. Don't uh, ask me. No one cares what I think. <laughs> Tiki Barber, uh, longtime giant, holds a ton of Giants records, former running back, Super Bowl champion, co-host of Evan and Tiki on WFAN and CBS NFL analyst joins us now. Tiki, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? I mean, we're all shocked. There's just so many things going on in the coaching world. Um, before I before I ask my question uh, about the perception around the league of Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, when you saw, and even we'll throw we'll throw Nick Saban in this conversation, of the three coaching headlines that you saw over the course of yesterday and into this morning, what was the most shocking for you? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I did a, a couple of Seattle games, 
And while the energy felt the same with Pete Carroll, you could, you could sense that it was wearing on him. Like he still presents this young, youthful, engaging coach, but you could tell a little, a little bit. I didn't do a Belichick game, but to me, the most surprising is Nick Saban. I felt like Nick would do this until he died. You know what I mean? He, he's so good at his job. And maybe the challenges of the transfer portal, which he's mentioned multiple times, the NIL stuff, which honestly they have an advantage at, but still it becomes daunting because you're not just recruiting, you know, the high school kids, you're recruiting the transfer portal. And so it becomes, I don't know, it becomes, it becomes really over-engaging as a coach. And I think maybe that's why he's, he stepped away from it. I, I would suspect he's still involved. But to me, it was the Nick Saban stepping away or mutually agreeing to part ways down in Alabama that surprised me. So, um, and we'll get to Nick Saban. I, I wanted to get your take on this with the two NFL coaches because you've been around the game a long time. You've played and played at a high level, won Super Bowls, all that stuff. When you look at how the league has evolved, a lot of younger coaches in the league and a lot of younger front office personnel that are taking over right. jobs now, do you think that they look at a guy like Pete Carroll or a guy like Bill Belichick and say, hey, we respect what you have done in this game for you know, over for 50 years for these guys, and especially as head coaches in the NFL for, you know, 20 plus years in New England and 14 plus years in Seattle. Do you think they look at them and go, we're good because the way that you coach, the way that you operate doesn't yeah. work in today's game? Well, it, it, I think it can still work. It's just harder because the attention spans of the kids that are coming in now aren't the same, right? The, the respect for discipline is, is not the same. And so while you may still try to do those things, be hard on them, you know, hold them accountable, penalize, fine, et cetera, them, you're not going to get the same response, right? Back in my day, which, which was a long time ago now, I mean, I, I've been out of the league for 17 years. That's really my 18th season out. If, if you felt like your coach was against you, you would work your ass off to try to get back in his good favor. Now it's like, trade me. I don't, I don't want to try to work with you. I just want to go someplace else. It's not you. It's not me. It's you that's the problem. And so I think the mentality of the player has changed. And the only way to keep them engaged is to challenge them by, by doing things like Mike McDaniel does down in Miami where, you know, this, this offense is so complex. But if you do it right, you can, you can dominate at times. Same thing with Kyle Shanahan. And we're seeing this wave of young coaches come in because that's the kind of energy that you need to match with the younger player these days. And, you know, do I love it? Not really. I mean, I like the toughness. I like the, you know, the accountability that these old coaches give. But eventually we all knew that, that they were going to run their course, right? When you get to 70-plus years old, it just becomes time to do something else and give the younger crop of coaches who want to do it a different way an opportunity. And I think front offices are starting to see that. And it's why we're getting these, these departures. They're mutually agreed upon. These aren't like – you know, disrespectful firings, but I think the, the tide is turning. You're seeing it with quarterbacks as well, but it's turning. And I think it's just a matter of these coaches starting to accept it. You know, if I am uh, Ben Johnson or Bobby Slowick or Aaron Glenn or Eric Bieniemy, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a job and now uh, there's a, a double cohort of all of these eligible uh, legendary coaches. It, it, you know, someone's asking Tiki, I've got a vacancy and I need to fill it. What's your draft board in terms of the, the available coaches? How would you rank them and who would you yeah. be interested in? Well, I mean, I really like Mike Vrabel um, because he is the, he is the perfect niche, a mix of the old school 
and that new new school. Right? He's not afraid to to try new and different things. But in Tennessee, he just they kind of ran out of answers. I was talking to my brother about this the other day because we both know Mike pretty well, and it's 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 not that he was bad at his job the last couple of years, but he just ran out of answers uh, with the talent that he had, the quarterbacks. Um, and Ryan Tannehill and Will Levis, who's still developing. And the one game is, I mean, it's so old school with Derrick Henry. You can't give the ball to the back 25 times. And the reason you can't is because going down the field five, six, seven, eight, ten yards at a time, it's, it's too daunting. Like the success ratio isn't conducive. You need big plays. You need to be able to, to change field position. And, and, you know, the more that you get those 20-plus yard plays, the more your likelihood of scoring touchdowns is. That's why they were such a low-scoring team. And so I, his ability to, I guess, recognize and adjust to that, I would believe in. I think wherever Bill Belichick goes and if Pete Carroll decides he wants to keep coaching instead of being in the front office in Seattle, they're going to still do what they did 10, 15 years ago. It's going to be small ball. It's going to be play great defenses and try to attrition victory. And the game is just moving away from that because once you get behind in those situations, right, and we saw this a couple of times with the Patriots, you get behind and you try to small ball it, you have no chance. You end up making a ton of mistakes and it just exacerbates the problem. I'll ask you a similar question, but from the other vantage point, if you look at all of the vacancies and when you're evaluating them, you're looking at roster, you're looking at potentially QB, you're looking at ownership. uh, Of the vacancies, which are the most appealing to you? Yeah, to me, the most interesting one is Atlanta. Now, they don't have the quarterback, but what we've also seen is like free agent veterans move every year. Right? Someone gets disgruntled about the circumstances they're in, and they want to move, and they're available. Um, not that Russell Wilson is the perfect example because of the you know, rough two seasons that he had in Denver, but he's 34 years old, and he's available right now. Or Justin Fields might get traded. He's one of those younger uh, quarterbacks. But I say Atlanta because if you look at the talent on both sides of the ball, from Jesse Bates in the secondary, they have some young corners there as well, but the offensive skill positions – all first-rounders from Bajon Robinson and uh, Drake London. They're two or three of their offensive line are first-rounders as well. I think Arthur Smith just ran into a uh, – I don't know. He, he got caught into this, this nouveau, positionless football. I want everybody to do everything. And the, the details and the execution wasn't there until it failed. But the talent is certainly there. I think Atlanta is really compelling for that reason that I just mentioned. But also, look at the division – Right? Who knows when Carolina's going to figure it out? Tampa's doing it with smoke and mirrors, it feels like. And, and, and the Saints, I mean, they're kind of just always middling after Sean Payton left. So I think the big opportunity is in Atlanta if, if, it's a big if, you can find the quarterback. You know, I, I had this thought today because you mentioned Nick Saban earlier about the, the idea of maybe an NFL coach going saying, you know what, I'm going to try my hand, and maybe a good NFL coach trying their hand at Alabama. Maybe you don't want to be the guy that follows yeah. Nick Saban um, because, <laughs> I, because I know that I don't know that I would want to be that guy. Um, I, here's the question. Is the Alabama job more prestigious than any NFL head coaching job that's available right now? Ah, God, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. I think that the, the NFL is still the NFL, and the success that you have there, uh, it, it makes you legendary and can put you in the Hall of Fame um, if you have you know, sustained success. Now, it's harder 
because the patience of the owners in the NFL and the general managers and the front office executives is very, very thin. And you usually get three years, maybe four, if you're lucky to, to, to figure it out. Uh, it's rare that you see the Mike Tomlins of the world or the Carols or the Belichicks that stay there for, you know, double-digit years and, you know, over 20 for those, those latter two that I mentioned. Uh, it's, so as great as Alabama is, I think the challenges at Alabama are just beginning to surface. Right? We've seen this the last couple of years, not this one, but the last couple of years where a team like Georgia and Kirby down there, can, they can better you, right? They get, and it centers around money as much as I hate it, right? Uh, I love it for the kids, but I hate it. It becomes, it becomes a, a semi-professional situation, right? Can your boosters provide enough NIL money to incentivize the best players in the country from high school to come to your to come to your university, and if you can, guess what? You're going to be in line to win national championships. That's what Georgia did for a couple of years, and Nick Saban has to battle that. Right? The transfer portal was it's, it's smashing him. And he came into this season, you know, and it was surprising. He did one of his best coaching jobs this year because he came into this season without like a real bona fide five-star quarterback. You know, Jalen Mil- Milrow played. You know, well, especially you know down the stretch and getting into the postseason, but they, they don't have that quarterback, and it's crazy. It's crazy to say that. And so, I think that the challenges at Alabama and really any of these major colleges are going to be hard to sustain. Like Nick Saban did it for twenty plus years in LSU and in Alabama. With everything going on, it's somewhat tough to remember that there are massive games going on this weekend in Super Wild Card Weekend. <laughs> no. And, and I miss this time of year as a former running back uh, where yeah. we talked about running backs, where they were the stars. This was the time of year where they shined in bad weather. So I, I, I need you to put one on. Give me one running back this week, because all we talk about is quarterbacks and what the weather means for them. One running back that's going to be an X factor this weekend. Oh, this is the easy one for me. It's, it's, it's Raheem Mostert in Miami. Right, he the statistics of, of this season for him have been like eye popping. He had more touchdowns this year than he did in, in his previous nine combined, and they're not they're, they're not one of the, the favorites in my mind because they haven't beat the big teams. The good teams that they played, like Baltimore, a couple of weeks ago, they got you know boat raced um, uh, back past. And so, to me, the only way that they can win is that Raheem Mostert gives you a a vintage old school running back performance against the Kansas city chiefs in crappy weather, right? It's going to be four degrees below zero out there. And uh, he's going to be matched against Isaiah Pacheco. I think whoever can win the running belt, the running game and, and not have to rely on, you know, slinging the ball around the field like Miami likes to do in bad weather usually wins, but you're right about the running back position, right? Back in the day, it was, man, it's week 17 or 18. Now you get into the postseason and Everybody's beat up. It's the running back who, who can be that grinder, who can you know, kill time clock and so shorten the game, you know, change field position with some big plays here and there. That used to be the guy you depended upon. Nowadays, you don't get that. Nowadays, the mentality for running backs is, you know, I'm going to give them about 15 carries, and if we get into the, you know, the fourth quarter and we have a lead, then we'll, then we'll, then we'll you know, load off. Then we'll give them 10 carries in the fourth quarter. That's, that's changed. Uh, but to me, it's got to be Mostert. He's been their biggest, you know, as much as we talk about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who's banged up in this game. But he, Mostert, has been the one that's run up the score on a lot of these games. Okay, Tiki, I got a running back question for you. As someone who never played running back, um, not even in a flag football, none of that stuff. Talk about the cold weather. 
Um, the most carries you ever had in a game was December 28th. So that's going to be a cold one. Right. Um, it was in New York. You had 203 rushing yards on 32 carries. What is your yep. mindset go- when you know the weather's bad? Because it, for me, in my thought process, it's, well, it's freezing cold, and I'm going to take a beating in the freezing cold weather, but I'm going to get 32 <laughs> carries here, or 25 carries. Yeah, right. Like, what is your mindset going into a game like that where you know it's cold and you know the game is going to revolve around, hey, we gonna, we're going to give Tiki the ball here, and we're going to give it to him a lot. Right. How, what do you think of in that moment? Because I can't imagine right. getting hit in the cold is very fun either. So it's funny you say it because uh, you know you got to be a little bit crazy. You know, I mean, you guys know this. You got to be a little bit crazy to play football. Right? It's it's willingly throwing your body into someone else's body fifty times a game, and you know it's going to hurt. Right? You're not coming out feeling like you just took a salt bath. Right? So uh, you, you got to be crazy. And the way that I would get my mind right for that was I, I hung out with a lineman all the time. Right? You, you want the the nuttiest and craziest people in a in a locker room with the lineman. Right, we call them the big fatties. Right, they just—they don't care, and so they would challenge me always, even even if it was 20 degrees outside. Teak, you're not wearing you know long sleeves today. I don't, I don't care what you think you're doing. You're not wearing long sleeves today, and so they would force me into this tough mentality. But then, you, I would depend upon them, and so whenever it became one of those games where it was you know sloggy, we call them mutters, as you guys know, these mudding games. Um, it was the lineman who you had to depend on, and so whenever. You know, I knew the game plan was, all right, we need 20 to 40, you know, 20 to 40 carries, not all me, but 20 to 40 carries in this game. It was all week. What do we, what's our best play, right? When we get into this, in this needed two yard situation, uh, let's, let's implore our off of the court to call this play. And I need you to do this and you guys to do this. And we just trust them, right? And you just go out and you, you basically let them carry you, you know, to success and, so many times I was able to do that in my tenure with the Giants, and people always ask, well, how did you have these big games? I'm like, it was because of Richie Soyberg and David Deal and Sean O'Hara and Chris Snee and Kareem McKenzie. Without those dudes, I'm, I'm just an average small little guy. Uh, they made me who I was. So those big days of running, that was all because of those five guys up front. Love it. Lastly, before I let you go, uh, you know, the New York marketplace is a special one, and the roles are tough there. Shortstop <laughs> of the Yankees, uh, GM of the Knicks, uh, and, and quarterback of the football teams. Now, we expect the, the Jets' quarterback will be Aaron Rodgers. Who do you expect the quarterback of the Giants to be? Do they go into the draft given their slot and reset the clock, or do they try to rehab things with Daniel Jones? I, I think my gut is that they're going to try to rehab things with Daniel Jones. And the reason is it's twofold. One, they love him, right? As the, as the guy who is the face of the, of the football team, they love him. I'm talking to ownership. Um, maybe Dave's and you know, Joe Shane haven't you know, really embraced that fully yet, but I know that John Mara and the front office, they love who Daniel Jones is and his potential because he's big and he's strong and he's fast. The problem has been the injuries. Um, and so that's, that's one side of it. The other side of it is the Giants have so many holes, right? We saw it with the, with the poor offensive line play. And so you might need to get a starter there. And you can do that in free agency. You may have to do it in the draft. But they also have 32 other free agents, right? This roster is nowhere near filled. And so to, to throw all of your, 
hopes and aspirations into a first-round draft pick because they would have to move up in the draft to do that, and therefore you're giving up other assets, draft assets, to, you know, to get to number one or two or three to get you know, Jaden Daniels or, or Caleb Williams or Drake May. So in order to do that, you're going to sacrifice filling out the rest of your team. Um, I, I said this after Joe Shane's press conference, which happened on Monday, and maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but when he's talking about, you know, we're, we're going to you know, look at the quarterback market, but we also have to do X, Y, and Z, it felt like their three-year plan, which you know, began two seasons ago, is actually a four-year plan. It's like he's kicking it down the line just a little bit, not begging, but kind of saying, give us another year before we get right because there's still so many question marks. The cap is so much cleaner than it was when he first got here and all these bad contracts that Dave Gettleman had lumped on us. But it, it's cleaner, but it's still the roster is nowhere near, near field. So I think running it back again for Daniel Jones, hopefully he's healthy. And if he's not, after this season, you can get out of that $160 million deal with, with only a play of $80 million of it. So I, I think they're going to run it back. They might draft a guy, a quarterback, in the second or third round, but it'll be a project. It's not going to be someone to come replace and be the immediate starter. Well, it's going to be very interesting, uh, especially after Wink Martindale ran out of the offices and said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. I uh, put a note over there. I was like, what in the hell is going on with our team? <laughs> and, they, and, they, and the guy wrote me back. He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> it's never a dull day in, ter- in New York sports, and specifically with the Giants no and the Jets, never a dull day. Tiki, thanks so much for taking some no time doubt. for us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Be well. There he goes. Tiki Barber, co-host of Evan and Tiki on WFAN, CBS NFL analyst, longtime New York Giant, pro bowler, all pro, uh, and holds plenty of Giants records. Also Um, a reality star. That's true. And was on Real Real Housewives Housewives of New Jersey. Uh, Now, if you uh, believe some of the TMZ reports, he will not be on the show moving forward, which is a loss. But we need real coaches of New York. That's what we need. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? I, I, that would be quite the scene. Yes. Yesterday to see Wink Martindale run out of the offices. Throw a drink on Brian Dable and run out. Flip a table. I spit at the question. Um, all right, we got to take a break. When we come back, uh, let's talk about some of these playoff games. Playoffs? Talk about playoffs? Has anyone since Moore's press conference ever said the word playoffs without punctuating it with an impersonation of him? It depends how good your impersonation of him is. I don't even know if mine's good. I think it's okay. It's okay. Playoffs. Playoffs. Just trying to win a damn game. We're just trying to win a game. Um, it's still the best. Uh, we'll talk about the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Uh, we'll also talk about the Browns and the Texans. The Saturday games, the NBC games, those should be uh, very interesting. We'll get to that when we come back. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And wherever you get your podcast. You know, the things that you read on the internet, Donovan, they're quite something. Uh, we will get to the games, but this was too good to pass up. So Katie Strang, who does a great job for The Athletic, has a new article out. And you sh- I re- I've only read a little portion of it so far, but I will read the rest of it. Because Donovan and I are both flabbergasted by this. ESPN reportedly used fake names to secure Emmys for college game day stars. Basically... 
they gave these names so that they could get these little Emmy statuettes, re-engraved the, they took away the fake name, re-engraved it with the names of some of their stars to give it to them. And then they were asked, they had to call these on-air personalities and ask them to return the Emmys because they weren't actually theirs. Oh boy. I'm so confused. I don't think they're getting any Emmys anytime soon. How about that one? Okay, let's talk football. Actual football, not fake Emmys and their connection with football. So the Browns and the Texans kicks off the games on Saturday. You can watch that one on NBC. Browns favored by two and a half on the road in Houston at Energy Stadium. Hopefully there will be no leaks in the roof this time as it was for the uh, college football playoff championship. The total is 45 and a half. A lot of people are going to look back and say, well, the Browns beat the Texans on the road already this year. Yeah, okay, but that was Case Keenum and Davis Mills in that game. And yes, Joe Flacco was great, but C.J. Stroud didn't play. Here's a question I have for you about C.J. Stroud. And it's not if he's great because he's great. Is there something to be said about a rookie going into his first playoff game? And it doesn't have to be on the road. He's all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and he doesn't have a care in the world. He's like, I'm just going to go play football. Or, and because he played at Ohio State, he played in big games anyway. Does that matter? Like, do you think that that that's the effect that it's going to have on C.J. Stroud? Or do you think it's like, well, this is a big moment. He could really kind of shrink under the pressure here. Because certainly, he's led game-winning drives in the final minutes of the game and not even batted an eye. I think when you've been in some of those massive Power Five games where people in the stadium is greater, if not the same amount, the television audience is greater, if not the same amount, you're not going to flinch in these moments. I, I think the difficult part is the increased level of competition, yep. which will um, impact your performance negatively and thus might make it seem as if you're flinching. When he was at Ohio State, he wasn't seeing anything like the defense he's about to see against the Cleveland Browns. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing. I think you could make an argument that the Cleveland Browns defense is the best individual unit in the NFL. Now, they're not healthy or as healthy as they were to start the year, but I, I don't think the moment is going to be too big for C.J. Stroud because... You talked about college. You talked about to start his NFL career. That moment hasn't seemed too big for him yet. For the Texans, they're going to need to establish the run game. It's going to, it's got to be Devin Singletary because Damian Pierce obviously has not been the answer. I worry less about what the Texans will be able to do through the air because it doesn't matter what defense CJ Stroud has played. He's been great. I mean, Nico Collins has been awesome especially in the absence of um, Tank Dell, who's obviously not playing after he fractured his leg. But the, you know, the, the play of Dalton Schultz is, is very important, and they'll get other guys involved. I don't know what the status is of Robert Woods. I don't know what the status is of Noah Brown. But I don't even know if it matters. Like, C.J. Stroud is just, I know I'm waxing poetic here about him, but... To me, this is part of the reason why I think the Texans are so dangerous in these playoffs is they're playing with house money right now. 
CJ Stroud is a rookie and I know there's always a, well, you're not guaranteed to get back there ever again. And I understand that, but CJ Stroud is just playing at a level with guys that we never expected were going to be great or as great as they have been. And he's done it having one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a rookie. Like I just, I look at the Texans and say, can I see them beating the Cleveland Browns? Sure. They're at home. That's also a nice little advantage to have. Can I see them beating them because CJ Stroud is an excellent quarterback? Yeah. The other thing is, is I could see the Texans defense putting up a really good game here. The the Texans defense has been really impressive and the job that D'Amico Ryans has done with it is, is exceptional. But also you look at the young talent on it. It's the Will Andersons. It's the Jalen Petries. It's the Derek Stingley. It's a, it's a fantastic group of young players. I don't know. I, I don't, I know a lot of people want to point to the way that the Browns have played, especially on offense and say they should go into Houston and beat them. But I'm not so certain that that is very cut and dry here. The interesting thing for me is I think Cleveland's also playing with house money. In sure. That, you know, They're on their fourth quarterback. A quarter of their cap is on IR. They're on their fourth quarterback. They played five quarterbacks throughout the year. They've built a great foundation with which to build for in the future. But I think the other interesting thing is these two teams played each other not that long ago in week 16. Now, C.J. Stroud wasn't in that game, mm-hmm. but Joe Flacco certainly was. And you talk about that Texans defense. The one time over the last two months that Texans defense didn't look as good was against Joe Flacco. And part of it is the amount of man-to-zone ratio Flacco sees against them. He went 27-42 for 368 and three TDs in the win against Houston but had a 97 QBR off play action, uh, which, you know, again, if, if they can get their ground game going like they have over the last uh, month uh, is huge. But Houston plays a lot of man. Another reason why the play action is tough because you're not, you've got your back to the quarterback. They played man 26% of the time, not a lot in that game. Flacco had 14.2 yards per attempt. Uh, his TDs and a 99.8 QBR 74% of the time they played zone, something that they don't want to do 6.8 yards per attempt, no TDs, two INTs, 72.6 total QBR. The man to zone cat and mouse game between Kevin Stefanski and D'Amico Ryan's two guys. who I think this is the bowl for who is the coach of the year. I think it'd be really interesting. And we're going to do something we don't like to do we know that you don't like it. So can we execute, you know, left-handed as best as possible? That's what I'll be watching for in terms of Flacco and that defense. Joe Flacco has the most wild card wins of any NFL quarterback ever. Five. More than Brett Favre, more than Dan Marino. Um, and he's going to have his top weapon in the lineup. Yesterday, Amari Cooper did not practice, but he said he's good to go. How surprised are you? And you've seen enough of Amari Cooper as a Cowboys fan. How surprised are you at the emergence of Amari Cooper here? Because he looks like he's turned back the clock. He looks fantastic. Very surprised. The Dallas Cowboys went out and got Brandon Cooks because they needed a complimentary receiver across from C.D. Lamb. You know who they had? They had Amari Cooper. And they didn't believe that he could do it, or they didn't believe he could do it at that price. Amari Cooper's issue in Dallas, and before that in Oakland, because remember, he was a trade acquisition in that scenario, was not about ability. 
was not about the ability to make the splash plays. It was about the ability to make the routine play consistently. Had an issue with drops, had an issue with being a no-show in games, had an issue in difficult times. Tiki talked earlier, if you missed in the program, we were joined by Tiki Barber. Uh, go and listen to that conversation on the podcast if you missed it because it was fascinating. To play tough in cold games. There were various times where Amari Cooper tapped out in high-leverage scenarios in tough games on the road in Philadelphia. We haven't seen any of that mm-hmm. in Cleveland. He's played well consistently. He's played hurt. And so, you know, sometimes we want to make a judgment on a player based off of how they are early in their career. This chapter for Mari Cooper is changing the way I view him for sure. That's one of the best trades the Browns have ever made. I mean, a fifth-round pick and then a swapping of sixth-round picks for Amari Cooper. because And part of it was they were taking on his salary, which is fine. But it turns out that that is a fantastic move for them. Uh, Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt will carry the load for this team uh, in the running game, more so uh, Jerome Ford. And he's been really good in the absence of Nick Chubb. Like We, didn't, we don't even talk about the loss of Nick Chubb. Yep. with this Brown team and where they would be if they had Nick Chubb in the lineup. Because when they lost him early, we saw, you know, how Deshaun Watson was playing. And you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a long year for the Cleveland Browns. And the defense was keeping them in there. And the way, you know, and then they they, they don't know who's going to play quarterback. And then, oh, okay, there's Joe Flacco. Ah, Joe Flacco can't be worse than anything that we've put out there. Well, he's been tangibly better than what they have. This Browns team has started five different quarterbacks this year. They started Jeff Driscoll in week 18. He's now the backup. Jeff Driscoll didn't have a job. Two guys that were just roaming the streets like like wandering dogs and raccoons in the streets, and they're like, oh, we don't have a home. We got nowhere to go. Cleveland seems like the place to be. Joe Flacco, Jeff Driscoll, those are your top two quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns this weekend. Okay, we don't have enough time to get to the Chiefs and Dolphins. So we're going to do that tomorrow. Please don't, not so much breaking news because we have lots of things to get to. So we pray for maybe just one. That's that's all you can get. Well, you jinxed it, so yeah. can't wait just to like see I, what the breaking news is. Just like I do with every Thursday nighter, which we can't even talk about tomorrow, which is fine. Um, let's do the Nick Saban conversation quickly here. I asked Tiki Barber about this and this Alabama job. Is that the highest coveted job that is available in football right now? Because for me, it is. If it was me, and, I, and I'm assuming Michigan is going to be an available job soon as well. I'm saying like right now, though. We both assume that it's going to be available. I disagree with Tiki. I would take a college job over an NFL job. Me too. I think if you win there, you don't have to pay for a meal in that town forever and ever and ever. Oh, man, you are... The most important, at worst, second most important person on campus is you and the president. In some parts, it's you and God, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) The NFL stands for not for long. And and Belichick, obviously, you know, was the outlier. But in the NFL, even if you think you have a, a good program... You are one bad year away from being on a hot seat. Look at Doug Peterson. Yeah. Jags start 0-4. Ooh, hot. He, he might be, you know, 
researching moving trucks. So I would take the college lifestyle, shorter season. You essentially have to beat three or four teams a year because you're going to win a bunch of games in recruiting. Or in the NFL, every week is a beast. That's a grind. Do you want to be the guy that follows the success of Nick Saban? I guess it depends on your own track record. Like Ryan Day took over from Urban Meyer. Totally different scenario. But Ryan Day was has been fine. I know people are saying he should get fired. Not get fired. But do you want to be that guy? Because it's the same question. Do you want to be the guy that follows Bill Belichick in New England? That's a tough one. I mean, no. I do, <laughs> I, I do want to be that guy on the 15th and the 30th when I'm getting paid. Yeah, no kidding. But those other days, no, I don't want to be that guy. Boy, oh boy, what a day. What a 24-hour news cycle. I'm shocked that football has a 24-hour news cycle like this. Oh, Justin, Mike Tomlin out in Pittsburgh. Stop it. I'm they joking. have a game this weekend. He might be out after that game, though. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the fan checkdown. Yeah, and Lance says, not if he beats the Bills. If that happens, I'm not coming in on Monday. I promise. Um, that's going to do it for us on the fan checkdown. Thanks to Lance behind the glass, Donovan across the table, Matt Marchese signing off. We will be back tomorrow. I'm sure there'll be chaos again, but we're going to get to the games because it is a big weekend of NFL football. It's the playoffs, baby.